Let's uh, stand up here. Welcome all of you who have joined us. For our Wednesday night Bible study, our campus is Stevens Point and Appleton. Those are watching uh, at home group studies as well as those online and everyone in this wonderful place. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your grace. Oh, Lord God, we pray for a strengthening of your empowering of your Holy Spirit to fill us, strengthen us for your service, we pray. Help us to understand the scriptures that we can grow and uh, conduct our lives according to the teachings therein. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Good to see you all. <clears throat> all right, so we are in uh, 1 Corinthians. We're going through the New Testament one verse at a time. We're in, uh, uh, starting in the book of Acts, and as we're going through Acts every time, when Paul wrote a letter, whoever wrote the letter, what happened during the book of Acts, we're jumping to the letter and then we're going back to the book of Acts, okay? So we are, uh, at this point, Paul is uh, hanging out in Ephesus. He writes, Ephesus, is that right? Yes, and then he writes a letter back to the Corinthians because he's, you know, he's hearing issues with them. Uh, so, and he's answering their questions and as we've already rehearsed, and we won't get into it again, they've got lots of problems. Uh, one of them, uh, one of the questions they had is, what about marriage? How do we deal with this marriage thing? And, uh, and then he addresses that. Uh, in all honesty, I, I, I don't think he made it very clear, but that's just my take on it. You know, I've read this thing. I've said many times it gives me a headache when I read it, but I'm starting to do it better. Uh, let's summarize very quickly. First Corinthians chapter seven, and we're kind of doing a shadowing message on Sunday for the next few Sundays. Uh, the first beginning of chapter seven, he says the reason for marriage is to try and put a damper on sexual immorality that has gotten out of control in the church. He said, if you wanna have sex, get married. Every man should have his own wife, every woman should have her own husband. If everybody's meeting their sexual needs, it stops all this craziness. Uh, he discusses how husbands and wives are supposed to be sexually active with each other. We talked about that. Um, then uh, he gets into this whole thing about, you know, whether or not, you know, what do you do if you're uh, unmarried? Because these are the people who get married. Okay, what if you're unmarried? He's saying, look, just stay unmarried. That's my advice. Just don't get married. Stay like me. But, you know, if you're, you're really burning with passion, he says, better to get married. I, I was born burning with passion. I totally understand. So I think I'm in that category. Um, <clears throat> Then he asks a question about divorce. And he basically says, you shouldn't get a divorce. That's what the Lord taught. The Lord taught you shouldn't get a divorce, particularly for any reason. When they came to Jesus, they would ask him, is it okay to get rid of your wife for any reason at all? And he said, no. And uh, he said, really, the only reason is that she's sexually unfaithful to you. And the disciples said, well, that's not worth getting married, man. <laughs> If you can't dump her butt whenever you want, this is literally the disciples, Peter, James, all these wonderful people that we held so highly, when they found out you couldn't dump her for any good reason, they said, well, man, it ain't, it ain't worth getting married. As if they're kind of sticking at Jesus. And I love this, you have to look it up. But the most hilarious response, I think, I don't know if this stuff was funny at the time. I think it's hilarious reading later. So they said, well, it's not worth getting married. And Jesus said, here's, here's the response. Look, some people are born eunuchs. You know what a eunuch is, right? Some, a man who has no huevos, all right? <laughs> the boys are gone, all right? So some guys are born eunuchs. Some guys are made eunuchs uh, uh, by others. Some people voluntarily become eunuchs for the kingdom of God's sake. So his answer was, the guy said, well, it's not worth getting married. And basically Jesus said, hey, look, some guys are born without a pair. Some guys have their pairs removed by others. Some people have their pairs removed on purpose. In other words, do whatever you want. <laughs> so when you figure sex is the main reason for marriage, he said there's always a solution if you don't want to get married. So I think it's hilarious. I don't know what the Bible says. They didn't say anything after that. They left him alone. So <clears throat> I thought it was hilarious reading. I thought, oh my gosh, it's so funny. So anyway, so he says, the Lord says, you're not supposed to get any divorced. All right. Then they ask the question, well, what about if you're married to an unbeliever? And he says, well, 
if the unbeliever is willing to stay with you, then stay married. You can't say, well, I believe in Jesus. He didn't believe in Jesus, so I'm going to dump him and find someone who does believe in Jesus. He said, no, no, you're not supposed to do that. Then he says, but if the unbeliever departs, abandons you, then you're free and you're no longer bound. Uh, and uh, so that's really the only other, it's, it's known as the uh, abandonment clause, if you will, where, uh, you know, if you're abandoned, then you're free. Then, of course, then there's the debate about what does abandon me. Again, I wish they were more clear. They could have spent, you know, five minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> Answered all these questions. But no. So, uh, the some say the abandonment clause can be anything. You know, if, you know, he's not supporting your cat. And I literally, I, I remember one time talking, <laughs> talking to this lady. She's a reporter at uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Some hoity-toity reporter. Television interviewing me, you know. And then afterwards she says, you know, my husband and I just got a divorce. And I said, oh, well, that's sad. She, oh, no, it's fine. Just our pets didn't get along. <laughs> our pets didn't get along. Of course, you know, I smile. I'm polite. I'm thinking you're a moron. But I'm smiling. I don't say it. <laughs> Who the heck? Your pets don't get to Go shoot the pets. I know you love pet lovers. Just whatever. <laughs> they got to go into the reward to speed it up. Good Lord divorce because of our pets and all these different things. So, you know, if you're emotionally abandoned, if you're this abandoned, if this, da, 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 da. So some people are very broad with their uh, interpretation and others are so restrictive on this interpretation they don't really believe it applies at all. And I've read both. Uh, so, but there's this clause of that if someone abandons them and moves on, so well, that's an unbeliever. Yeah, but there's people who claim to be believers who act like unbelievers. In fact, Jesus said, you go to him once, you go to a couple of guys, he doesn't listen to the church, you treat him like an unbeliever. All right? So there's, there's those cases. Nobody does this easily. We've ruled in situations like this. It's painful and laborious, and it takes months of wrangling and trying to reason with people. And, uh, uh, you know, it is what it is. So, so then he goes into this whole thing about don't change your status. Stay, and he says, I, like, I make this a rule that whatever situation you are when you get saved, you should stay in that situation. Now he's talking about the context of marriage here. He's clearly implying if you become a Christian single, you should stay single. If you become a Christian married, you should stay married. But it doesn't, you know, he just said the main reason is because of temptation which most people are going to feel anyway. So, I mean, it's just, it just gets confusing. And he talks about, and he goes off in these analogies, if you're uncircumcised, you shouldn't get circumcised. If you've been circumcised, you shouldn't become uncircumcised. <laughs> I don't know what the heck he's talking about there. How do you reverse that? We talked about that last week. All right. So, then he says, stay in the situation you're at. He says, if you're a slave, stay a slave. And then he says... But if you can gain your freedom, get your freedom. It's like, what? So it's all just confusing. Then he talks about the unmarried, and he goes again. My advice, don't get married, don't get married, don't because if you marry, you're going to have trouble in this life. A verse I quote at every seminar I do everywhere around the world. In this life, you're going, if you get married, you're going to struggle. You're going to have troubles. People come to me and say, Pastor, there's something wrong. What is it? We have trouble in our marriage. No, that's, that's about right. Okay? That's, that's pretty normal. That's normal. Uh, and then he talks about that the time is short. That, you know, why bother to get married? Because who knows? The time is short. Jesus is coming. Who knows how long we're going to be here? And then he uses some really bizarre analogies. But he's very clear at the end what he's talking about is, you know, we have a short time. Uh, and then he goes into the argument of if you're not married, you can have all your attention to serve Jesus. But if you're married, then you have to spend some of that attention to your husband and to your wife. Well, of course, but again, it's just very odd. This whole thing, he's saying, okay, if you need, and what does he say? If you get married, you haven't sinned. What he's basically saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, but if you got, okay. It's not real encouraging. He's not really the warm and fuzzy, you know, you wouldn't invite him to speak at like a wedding conference. You know what I'm saying? He probably wouldn't be a big, a big guy, you know, one of these... I did have this in the malls when these 
bridal fairs, <laughs> bridal shows, they wouldn't invite him, okay? You know, so it is what it is. So his arguments make sense, we understand, but at the end of the day, he talks about the sanctity of marriage and the purpose of marriage, and I think we all get it. Some of this other stuff is a little confusing. If you think that's confusing, let's read the next segment. Now, this one is really, really odd. This is probably the oddest, one of the oddest things that you can read in the New Testament. There's some other ones that are probably a little odder, but this is right up there. And if you look at the, uh, uh, you know, the theologians and stuff like that, they really debate this one because they don't know what he's talking about. When the theologians even are saying, listen, we don't know what he's talking about. Nobody really knows what he's talking about. Now, uh, well, okay, let's read it. Here's the thing. I'm going to tell you the two different translate, uh, uh, interpretations. Here's what he says. If you have a virgin and you, the vir- you don't want the virgin to get married, then that's okay. Uh, but if you feel that the virgin needs to get married, then it's okay. You haven't sinned. And if you keep the girl, talking about the girl, if they keep the girl a virgin, that's, that's, or if you let the virgin marry, that's good. And if you don't let her marry, that's even better. Now, two translations here. One is he's talking about fathers who in this culture had total control over their daughters. And it's, that's just a fact. You know, it was like that up until the 20th century, for heaven's sakes. I mean, the fathers really had the, the final say on whether, remember you had to go and ask for the father's permission? We do that today as kind of a sign of respect to the dad and stuff like that, but nobody really expects him to say no, and if he does, we don't care, you know? Can I marry your daughter? No, you're an idiot. All right, see you later, we're going to Vegas, you know? I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, no one even thinks of these. But that tradition comes from a culture of thousands of years of human history that if the father said no, it wasn't happening. It just wasn't happening. So a lot of translations take it that he's talking about this father. And what he's saying is, if you don't want your daughter to get married, good. That's a good thing for you to do. But if she's struggling and really has a passion and, uh, you know, if her passions are too strong or whatever it is, you know, then, uh, then uh, okay, you can let her get married. Better if you don't. But if you do, it's, you know, you haven't sinned again. Not real encouraging. The other tra- interpretation is what the NIV guys did. He thinks that he's writing to guys who are engaged. That if you're engaged to a woman, who is now your virgin that you're engaged to, uh, it's good if you never marry her. Which is really odd. And then he says, well, if your passions are too strong and you feel you have to marry her, okay, you haven't sinned. Uh, But it's better if you don't marry her. Well, who does that? Who marries a chick and you're stuck to me, you've been pledged to me, you can't go anywhere to anybody else, but I ain't marrying you. That's like craziness. So I don't know, both versions are highly disturbing, in my opinion. Let's read the NIV translation of what he says. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, in other words, can't keep his hands to himself, and if his passions are too strong, can't imagine what he's talking about there, and he feels he ought to marry her, well, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. What are you talking about? I don't understand this. I actually think the other version of the father not allowing the daughter makes more sense, which is what a lot of traditional translations is. Why the NIV guys went with this Way again, everybody's argued about it. They're not sure what he's talking about. Going on, but if the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who's under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. This is crazy. I don't know what he's talking about. Honestly, they can't. Why they want this virgin? I mean, this is, this is sick. 
right? I mean, again, we're 2,000 years later, we don't understand. You have to understand this is a different culture. There, at times, we're going to be talking about things that we will stumble over and you don't get. What do you do when you get to a part of the Bible that you honestly don't know what they're talking about? You move on. You just move on. I got lots to work on that I do know. I run across the occasion like, what is this? And rather than wrestle with it and get upset and get into fights with people, I just go, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. And, and you move on. So that's my answer to this. It just sounds bizarre that someone would engage themselves to a woman and decide, you know, I'm not going to marry this woman because, you know, I can control my passions, but she's stuck to him. And just, this is strange. Even the other version is a little odd that a father would have that much control over his daughter and can forbid her to marry, which is what they did. I think that one just makes more sense. My personal opinion, nobody cares. I promise you. There's not a theologian in the world that'll ever look up, what does Mark Unger think? All right? All right. So then we get to the final question about marriage, which is, what happens if the guy kicks a bucket? Can I remarry then? Is there any hole back then? So, verse 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. Well, if he just read that, then they're always bound. But yet earlier says if he's abandoned, then the person is not bound. So these are one of these things that you know, people say, you know, sometimes the Bible's got contradictions. You know, I don't know. There's something that are hard to understand. I don't know. Anyway, there's nothing that really matters to any high level. But the standard is, and this is the standard. You marry someone, you're stuck with that person as long as they live. Remember? Till death do us part. Which doesn't mean you kill the guy. But it just means we're in this for life. That's the standard. We can look at some of the possible exceptions, and people argue about this all day long. But the standard is you're married for life, you stay with them till. But if her husband dies, why is the guy dying? Why is the guy always dying? If the husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Now, uh, this is where you get the standard that you say to Christian young ladies, well, it doesn't have to be young ladies, there's some older ladies that are single and they want to marry, they really are supposed to be marrying a believer. Or the standard is, you're not supposed to be marrying someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. And this happens all the time. But one of the main reasons it happens so often is these girls are absolutely desperate to get a husband. And I get it. I understand it. You know, if there's one thing I hear, and I even hear from this church as I walk out of the foyer almost every service that we're talking about something like this, they say, well, there are no Christian men. Where are they? What am I supposed to do? You know, and I get it. Uh, so they wind up marrying guys who are not Christians because they have this huge desire to want to get married. I think it's a dual thing. One is just that, you know, that desire for the touch and all this kind of stuff that we talk about. The other is, quite frankly, I think it's part of the curse. You guys remember the, the curse on, on Adam? That you're going to have to work your butt off now because things are going to work against your thorns and everything else. Then the woman had a curse. Do you remember her curse? Oh, what is it? The first one was childbirth. She got a double whammy. And usually everybody starts, stops with that. Yeah, you're going to have pain in childhood. But he wasn't done. There's a second part of the curse. Your desire will be for him and for your husband. And if I'm Adam, I'm going, what kind of curse is that? <laughs> I'm the curse. She's going, so I don't know. There's something in the psyche that they have to have this guy. And it just, and then they marry him and it drives him crazy but they've really driven for this thing. I just think there's a part of it that there's actually an unrational thinking involved, and I just can't, can't help but wonder if it's not just part of that, what he was talking about. What else is he talking about, that part of the curse? You know, so I don't know. Here's my advice, and not everybody agrees with me, is uh, I don't have a problem with single girls dating unsaved guys. And when I say dating, I'm not talking about making out in the backseat of the car, ooh, ooh, all that kind of nonsense. I'm talking, you go to dinner with the guy, right? And 
and, and he wants to date you. And some guy, you're at work, and some heathen comes and says, hey, you want to go out on a date? Now, you're going to think, no, I don't want to date you. Know? I tell these girls, and again, I've had some intense <laughs> contra on, on this. I think, use it and say, I'll tell you what, I'll go to dinner with you. Yeah, yeah, under one condition. What's that? You come to church with me for a month. Why not? Why not? He's the one that wants you. You're so cute. Woo! I like it. Now, you're from Christian. I'm only supposed to marry him, but nobody said you had to marry him. Right? Just make a deal with him. I'll go to dinner with you if you come to church with me for a while. I would make it one time, at least three times. If the guy doesn't convert in three times, then dump his butt and move on. All right? <laughs> Give him three shots. Or I'd go for the month. Make it safe. You come to church with me, and I'm serious. Some of you girls are really cute, and some of these guys don't want to date. You keep blowing off. They will come. They will come. And seriously, just wait and see what he was, how he responds to the gospel. At a minimum, when you're done, and he doesn't convert, he's not interested in God and everything else, just go out and order the most expensive dinner you can conceivably imagine. <laughs> Why not? You know? A, these lobsters, do they come in six packs? You know, how, how do, <laughs> can I take them home? I mean, we'll cook them, and then, you know, I'll eat one or two, and I'll take the rest with me, you know. You know give him a $500 bill. What do I care? Fulfill your end of the deal, get it, and move on. So what I'm saying, people say, well, they're going to be doing all No, I'm not talking about dating, making out, losing your head. Now, some argue, say, well, women, these Christian girls can't separate the two. I don't know. Hopefully they can. If, if you go on, on one date with one guy, you immediately fall in love with him and you can't control yourself. Well, then we got other issues. I don't I'm just saying, I don't have a problem. Then do it again. Next guy wants, you know, some little pagan wants to date you, Sure. There's got one requirement. <laughs> got to come to church with me for a month. Man, you can get like four or five different guys to come to church over a year. It'll be awesome. <laughs> Why not? At some point, one of these guys might actually have an encounter with God. We're supposed to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Sharing the good news. At some point, they hear this. They go, holy cow, I need this in my life. Now you think, all right, I'm going to go date this guy for a while. Then you go and you order a salad. <laughs> You know, I don't ever eat, you know, that was a little salad and water. Is this diet water? You know, I was, you know. So, I don't. so, while you're not supposed to marry an unbeliever, I have no problem with you dating. But again, when I say dating, I'm not talking some elongated thing where you're getting all hot and crazy with each other. I'm thinking you go to a guy on one lousy date. And, I've had, and only after you do a bargain with him, he's got to come to church. He comes to church, he's not, and he talks to him, I think, you know, what do you think of that? Well, you know, yeah, I think some people, the God thing's kind of cool, but it's not, and that's when he's a waiter, can I see that menu again? And you just jack up the thing. And dump him and move on, all right. Or just stay in a church where there's no single men for the rest of your life. What do you want, what are we supposed to tell these girls? Why not use your charms for the advancement of the kingdom of God? <laughs> right? I'm saying appropriately. I'm not saying be a hoe. <laughs> hoe for Jesus. We're going to do evangelistic tool. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. That's just a ghost that takes you to dinner. Can we just do dinner? You can do dinner if you're nervous, go to lunch. But make him come to church, you take him to lunch, and by that time he doesn't respond, move on. Next time I go, you want, okay, can we go out again? No, nah, see ya. Move on. You know, I'll get a ride. Call Uber. <laughs> Things that lift you, I'll get my own ride home. Uber your way home. All right. Hopefully that makes sense to somebody. I don't know. So she's free. Your husband kicks the bucket and likewise vice versa. You're free to marry anyone you want. The instruction is it's supposed to be a believer. In my judgment, speaking of this lady who's now a widow, Paul says... In my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is. Again, he is not a big fan of the marriage deal. I don't know why. I don't know the culture. I don't know the thing. I guess, you know, but it is what it is. He says, I think she'll be happier if she is, and I think I, too, have the spirit of God. In other words, what he's saying, I think I know something about life. I think I know something about spiritual things. I think I know something about what God would want in your life. My advice just stay single. 
that's the Apostle Paul. That is the end of his marriage thing. He doesn't really say a whole lot more about marriage throughout the rest of the Bible. We do run into Ephesians where he talks about, uh, you know, about women being submissive to their husbands. But he also, first of all, he starts out saying everybody should be submissive to each other. It's not this abusive nonsense that people paint out. Uh, and we'll get there. We're going to talk about that, how men should love their wives. And there should be some order. And he talks, touches that on that every once in a while. Uh, and again, he's, you know, feminists are not big fans of the Apostle Paul, I promise, because he says some pretty inflammatory things. <laughs> we'll run into it yet in this one. But uh, we'll deal with it as we, as we go along. All right? Okay. Thanks be to God. We move on. Then... He starts talking, he's, remember he's answering questions. So now they're asking about food sacrifice to idols. Can we eat food sacrifice to idols? Now, again, you know, they didn't have Google and stuff and there wasn't, you know, I, I don't know how educated people were, I don't know. Do you remember the big council in Jerusalem? Remember they came and they argued that Gentiles all have to become Jews first, or that they don't. They had this big fight, and finally they said, no, they don't have to obey the Old Testament except for like three things. One of them was don't eat food, sacrifice to idols. So why he even discusses this, I don't know. And he discusses it in a confusing manner, which you will find with me in a minute. One, you get done with this first part, you'll think he's saying one thing, you get a bit a little bit further. No, he's saying something else. I don't know why they're discussing it. It was the ruling. It was the ruling the church came out. All he had to say is, look, from the Old Testament, this is what everybody agreed. This is the deal. Don't eat food offered to idols. All right. But they have this question. Can we eat food offered to idols? Now, this is really not terribly relevant to us today. First of all, idolatry has been virtually extinguished from the face of the earth because of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of uh, Judaism teaching all over the world, and believe it or not, because of Islam. Because there is only one God. You know, the idea of just one God has virtually crushed out idolatry, except in uh, the East, like in India and stuff. And when they have gods, they're not talking like five or six. Where's Joe? Is he around here? <laughs> He's been over there. They're, they're like millions. Millions of demigods. In fact, it's one of the challenges when you're in India and you try to get somebody to accept Jesus. Would you like to ask Jesus to come in your life? He's the son of God. And they go, sure. Why not? You got a million on the shelf now. What's a million and one? Seriously. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, we accept Jesus, no problem. We'd be very happy to accept Jesus. All right. And that's, that's, what, they, that's, what, they, that's what they go, yeah. In, Ameri in the West, you go like this for yes, or they go like this, sideways. They do. It's a different culture. It's really funny. You're asking them a question, they go like this. And you're waiting for a response. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I told you, you're shaking your head. Like bobble dolls. What do you go? All right. All the, all the Indian people over there just quit listening around the world. But uh, anyway, to us, it's, it's just very strange. Uh, but some cultures like that, you know, remember Italy when we went to Italy? Because uh, to them, goodbye is this. Khmer is this. Now, when you're in America, you go to Italy, it's very confusing <laughs> until you get the hang of it. Because there's people who you're saying goodbye to and you're trying to leave them, they'll go like this. And you literally, I go walking back, what? No. What? You know, until you say, that's goodbye. It's backwards, it's very funny. I thought it was funny. You didn't think it was funny, I don't care. All right, so. <laughs> it was, remember how confusing it was? What'd you do? <laughs> she went to get her laundry done. And she says, I went back three times because they kept doing this to me. <laughs> what? And you leave and they do it again? What do you want? They're thinking, oh, really dumb Americans, man. Anyway, culture is all culture. All right, so now about food sacrifice to idols. 
And then before he gets into this, and right away he switches the channel. And he says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. What is he talking about? You know, it basically says, look, I'm gonna give you some instruction about this stuff, but don't get arrogant with your instruction. The most important thing is love, loving people. And I find it fascinating, the number of Christians in America, we run them all the time, but it's not just every pastor under these. These people who go to church for a while and they leave because I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting fed. What they're saying is, give me more knowledge. I want to learn more. I want to learn. I want not learning more. And people start getting all foaming at the mouth because we're not learning enough. We got to to the point that up yours. I'm out of here. But where's the love in that? See, they think it's more important that you learn. When Paul says the most important thing is that you love people. So people, in my opinion, who clamor, you know, I'm, I'm not getting, first of all, getting fed, feed yourself. How old are you, for heaven's sakes? But I'm not getting fed. I want more information. I want more information. And then you leave a church, a group, not just, I'm talking about any of them. You dump my butt and go to some other church. At some point, you say, well, I, I just want to be fed. I want to, I'm going to leave it. So you're going to dump all these people that you become friends with, that you've connected with over the last two, three, four, five years. Where is the love in that? Paul actually warns against this. Don't be so caught up in knowledge, I want to learn more, that you hurt people and you turn your back on people that you say were your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's what you do when you say, see ya, and I'm leaving because I want to know more. Uh, particularly in an age here today where you can learn everything you could ever possibly want without going anywhere. I'm just on Christian television, man. You, you, how, how many Christian channels do we have in our house? Five or seven. I don't, I don't watch any of them. They all freak me out. But <laughs> they do. It's just not my thing. They're just so creepy. Some of them are so creepy. Anyway, uh, you know, sit and listen to them. You can listen to them all day long. You can get online. You can go to the like, local Bible Christian bookstore. You can get reams of materials and videos. And you can get all the knowledge in the world at your fingertips. I don't care if you're in prison. Well, maybe prison you don't have the internet. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? We can lock you in the basement. <laughs> Give you a computer. You can get all the info and knowledge in the world that you could possibly ever want. How in the world can you tell people I don't want to be associated with you anymore because I'm seeking more knowledge? And I don't have any particular person in mind. You probably can think of 10 right off the top of your head that you know already because this is very common. I'm not whining about people in our church. This is across the board. It is one of the most blatantly unbiblical, nonsensical, arrogant things that people do. They don't. They always want more knowledge. We're not getting enough knowledge. We're going to leave you. I'm sick of you. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to. Of course, they don't say it that. Well, what are you saying? Well, see ya. That's not love. Love is not see ya, and maybe we'll run across each other at Kmart someday. Or, oh, we have Kmart anymore? I don't know. Walmart. I'm too old for this. Okay. So. He says, look, the most important thing here is love. You need, that needs to be your governing thing. So having set that up, he says, so then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. He's quoting, you see those quotations he's quoting from the Old Testament. For there are uh, so-called gods, whether in the heaven or earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, again, some cultures, there's a million or two. I mean, and he was talking in the middle of a pagan culture. They had so many gods. Remember, he went to, to Athens. They ran out of idols for gods. They finally came up with an idol for the unknown god. They, they ran out of names. Here's a god we don't even know what to call this one. They were just into it. Yet for us, there's but one god, the father from whom all things come and whom we live. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through him we live. Now, not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols 
that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been, been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Now we say not everybody possesses this knowledge. He's talking about Christians. I mean, there were Christians that were stumbling over this. If, because what he's saying is, oh, well, don't eat food offered to idols. And they thought, well, there are no idols. There are no gods. It's just, it's just a stupid rock, you know? And they would just eat whatever, but somebody else doesn't quite get it because they were raised in this culture of all these demigods and stuff, and you're doing this. They think you're connecting to the God. They want to get pulled back into idolatry. It's a stumbling block to them. Uh, so, you know. Anyway, that's a bad thing. He says, but food doesn't bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat, and we're no better if we do. Which is really kind of a slam on what the Jerusalem church told him. Don't eat food offered to idols. And he's writing here, saying, ah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Brother John, who cares is what he's saying. But now in a little bit, he makes a big deal out of it. So I don't know, he's just, it's kind of something that's hard to follow him sometimes. But in this context, he's talking about don't cause someone to fall back into idolatry because you ate food offered to an idol or you were in some table, temple and you stopped for a burger and it was a demigod burger or something, you know, a Zeus burger or something, whatever it is. So be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights, what's the right? I can eat anything I want. That your exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, Eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Remember, he's kind of, you know, it's not all about knowledge. At some point, you got to love people. Be kind to people. Now, I, again, I don't even know what the big deal is. They don't know. You know that how hard is it just to explain to them? There are no idols, you know. But for them, you know, if you were raised in that culture... Here's an example to give you how, how powerful uh, uh, this is. Uh, many of you were raised Catholics. Some of you actually still are Catholic. You come visit. God bless you. Good to see you. But, uh, and I was raised Catholic. And uh, when, a lot of times when they first come into this church and they come to an aisle, and before they go into seat, what's the first thing you want to do? Genuflect. The, the feel, I remember as a kid going to a movie and I'm walking down and I just, you know, and I do this, you know, before I went and I thought, what do I just did? I mean, you're so used to genuflecting, right? And, uh, and I've been in Catholic church. I mean, I've been at the Vatican. I've been at some of these. They're unbelievable. The urge to genuflect when I pass in front of the altar is overwhelming. And I got to say, stop, you're not a Catholic, all right? Uh, <laughs> although I remember once I snuck into the Vatican remember that night that was hilarious I would tell this it's a funny story but it'll take 20 minutes to tell the story and then you won't learn anything but anyway me and my buddy <laughs> <laughs> see I'm going to tell the story now because I can't stop <laughs> okay so, uh, but anyway, we, we, uh, this was like every, was it every 25 years, they open these doors at the Vatican, and then you make a pilgrimage to the, and if you have committed any sins that you can't remember, if you just go through the door, your sins are forgiven. That's how they get people to come to these, you know, things, that they establish at this thing, they open these doors, and people drive, come all over the world to go through there, because, you know, you're supposed to confess your sins, but what if you can't remember all your sins, right? That's how you fix it, you go do that, you know. So, anyway, uh, this has nothing about sneaking in, I don't know, but I was with the same guy, Buddy, and uh, we came, and the doors are open, and I come walking through, and I went, whoa. And then I walked out, and I walked in again. <laughs> he says, what are you doing? I said, just in case they're right. I want to cover my bases, you know. <laughs> if you're a Catholic, you're offended now. But anyway, I'm just, you know. You, there are things that you do. So when you think of it in those terms, I guess you can start to understand why this would really bother someone who's raised in pagan ritual. And then you do something that's associated with pagan ritual, it will mess with them. And it can cause them to stumble in their faith. Someone who is now a believer in Jesus, Jesus loves this guy, Christ died for him, and now you're being careless because of your exercise of freedom, that now you're confusing him and he's falling back into it. So that's really 
what he's talking about. So uh, uh, when you sin against them in this way, you wound their weak conscience since uh, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that it will not cause them uh, to fall. Of course, he did eat meat again. He's just being hyperbolic there. If that means I can never eat meat ever again because it'll cause someone to fall, then I'll never eat meat again. Of course, that's, that's an exaggeration. Now, all of this, again, is very much just not applicable today uh, in the culture in which we live. Um, uh, but Christians have used this portion of Scripture, and there's other parts of it that, that are kind of like this, to argue why you should or should not do certain things, okay? Um, you, you know, I remember growing up in the holiness churches. You guys know what holiness churches? Uh, these are people that they prescribe specifically what makes you holy or does not make you holy. If your hair is too long as a man, you're not holy. If a woman cuts her hair, she's not holy. And you can always tell holiness ladies because they got huge buns of hair on top of their heads. You can see them a mile away. They're sweet people. I've done seven. I just did one recently at a holiness church. They're great people, you know. The women have to wear dresses like down to here and their hair is up in buns and just floating in and out, you know. And you can, again, culturally irrelevant because you can see them 10 miles away. It's almost like a version of being Amish. You know what I'm saying? Kind of Amish with a twist. So anyway, so that's... Uh, I had a story. Where was I going on this? Oh, so they, they used to say stuff raised in churches, you know, that, you know, if you didn't go along with it, you're going to cause somebody to sin, okay? And uh, um, if you have a television in your house, well, then you're going to cause somebody else to sin. And they always use these verses to justify why you shouldn't do what they don't want to do. Okay, so they, everybody has their own standard of what is acceptable or not acceptable to them, which Paul talks about. Okay, so oftentimes the people who don't allow themselves to do something get really mad at the people who do. Alcohol is a classic example. Uh, evangelical Christians are really crazy, and some of you are this way, God bless you, we're glad you're here, but uh, you always pick the, the, the grape juice because you're not touching that wine because you were raised, you know, don't, you know, if you're an evangelical, you never, ever, ever touch alcohol because it's the devil's brew or whatever the deal is, uh, which again is not biblical, the Bible's clear that uh, that's not what it says. When Jesus turned the water into wine, they said, well, he just turned it into really good tasting grape juice. <laughs> Paul warned them, don't get drunk with wine. How much grape juice you gotta drink before you'd get drunk? I mean, it's absurd. He wrote to the Corinthians who had taken communion and they wound up getting drunk. It was wine. It's always been wine. I don't. I'm, this is my personal thing. That's why one of the first things I went I think it was the first thing I did when I finally became a pastor in an evangelical church. First thing I did was serving wine for communion. Man, you thought some people were, their hearts were going to just break and their eyeballs were going to melt and just freak out and stuff like that. Look, we'll give you the grape juice version. To this day, we still give you the little grape juice version for those who feel they'll be exploding into flames, all right? But it wasn't grape juice, it was wine. It's always been wine. In fact, it was the Passover dinner. Ask any Jew if the wine they serve at Passover is wine or grape juice. They'll laugh at you like you're crazy. It's always been wine. Well, the argument that it always gets thrown back yeah, but if I drink that, it'll cause someone to stumble. See, they like to take their little cultural thing and fit it into this verse. You can't do that because I don't do it. If I don't, you can't do it. And if you do, you might cause someone to stumble. Really, come on. And some of you were here when I first introduced this. <laughs> and I, I mocked them. I can't imagine I'd do something like that to people. But, uh, you know, I say, look, you know, it's not Jack Daniels, okay? It's wine. And it's pretty cheap wine at that, I gotta tell you. And it's a little tiny thing. Now, if we start passing it around, you start going, ah, 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 ah. okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe we have a problem. But it's just, you drink more alcohol than that when you take NyQuil. Goodness, great, but there's so holy these, again. I'm making fun of all you grape juice drinkers. I don't wanna know who you are. Don't tell me, don't tell me. <laughs> now, for the sake of conscience, that's what it is. I've had Christians who tell me, all my life, I made it say, I will never let alcohol touch my lips. That's fine. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is people who say, because I do this, you cannot do it. 
They take their viewpoint of whatever they think is so righteous and holy and shove it into your face. And if you don't do it just the way I do it, you're going to cause somebody to sin. Yeah, they're crazy. For heaven's sakes. So, and I, you know, alcohol, I don't know what else. Music, you know, if you play, you know. Huh? Def Leppard. You listen to Def Leppard? Aren't you a little deaf too? That might be why. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There is inappropriate stuff you shouldn't be listening to. And it's not necessarily to a certain style of music, but just whatever it is. But someone who listens to it, someone who's made the stand you should never listen to it, they will attack the other person. And they will shove it in your face and they claim this, you should do because you might cause somebody to stumble. Okay, now, at some point, I suppose that's a possibility. I just don't know where that line is. I have to tell you, I have never, ever, I'm not that old, old enough, but in the 45 years I've been a Christian, I've never heard of anybody who stumbled and fell away from their faith just because somebody did something. So I guess it happens. I don't know, maybe you know somebody like that? If you do, let me know so I can at least say, I heard one guy, you know, but I don't even know anybody. I don't even know anybody who knows anybody who because they were, they were this and they saw someone else that they lost their faith over. You know, again, I don't have a problem with anybody doing what they do. Here's another example. There are Christians who are really into the Sabbath, big time. Seventh-day Adventists, by, by the whole denomination is that way. Wonderful people. I love these people. I've been many times with their churches. They love me. We get along great. All right? Uh, but they're like really intense about it. Well, the nice thing about, I love about at least all the Seventh-day Adventists I've been around is they don't get on me for doing it, for not obeying the Sabbath. You have to understand, we say the Sabbath. The Sabbath literally means Saturday. It literally means Saturday. Christians eventually moved it into Sunday. They said, well, we, we, you know, and I, I get the culture war, you know. We shouldn't get rid of the Ten Commandments because we got to, you know, really, the ten, even the Ten Commandments, nobody's obeying the Ten Commandments, no Christians. You know, you have crosses and stuff like that. You're not supposed to happen to you, any graven images, right? You know, the Sabbath, how many obey the Sabbath? I don't know anybody. Well, Seventh-day Adventists do, you know. But every once in a while, I run into some Christian who suddenly becomes enlightened with the idea of the Sabbath. So they literally, on the Saturday, won't do any work at all. I have no problem with someone. I know some people who, who still treat Sunday that way, but it's, it, you know, they just don't. That, that's their thing. And I have no problem with that. I, I think it's fine. But don't get on me if I mow the lawn on Sunday. Right? It's, it's, it's always the one who doesn't allow it that strangles the one who does. That's not what this verse was implying. The verse was to protect those who don't for being crushed by something that you do. Again, he's literally talking about paganism. I don't know if there's any other area in life that that would translate to. If it does, if you find yourself doing something that is literally causing someone else to sin, you shouldn't do it. Okay, I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just, I'm not sure what that would be at this point. But if you ever encounter that, you know, I started doing something. This guy starts acting badly because they saw me do something. As a Christian, you're supposed to avoid that. Don't do things that cause people to sin. You know, I just haven't seen it. I haven't seen anybody take a thing of communion, wine, and saw them run out and, you know, drink a bottle of Jack and beat their wives. I've, I've never seen it. Okay, now if every time I did that, I saw that, I would make the connection, and I'd stop, I would stop, I would stop, I wouldn't do it, you know. But I, I just haven't, I haven't seen it. All right, so that's what all of that is all about. Then, Paul gets into this, uh, but he's not done though, he's gonna come back uh, and, and deal with this in a way that's, it kind of makes it sound like it's not that big a deal, just don't do it to cause somebody else to sin. Well, let's just cheat, shall we? We'll run across it again when we get there, just... Where is it? Uh, chapter 10. Chapter 10, uh, verse 19. Can you pop it up there? You magic Bible people back there. Chapter 10, verse 19. Oh, there it is. Okay. 
So he says, do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to be participant with demons. Well, there's a strong argument. Why didn't you just say that earlier? I mean, I don't understand. Because the way he, and then he does this later. He talks about this whole thing about food offered to idols. When we get to that one, he really downplays it. Because in that day, you could go to the marketplace and some of that food had been offered to idols. It's like if, you know, in the back counter at, at uh, you know, one of the grocery store chains around here. What's the grocery store chains around here? Festival. You go to festival, back there there's like, you know, demonic, you know, there's slashing animals and dancing around, blah, 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 you know, to, to demons and stuff like that. And they've got demon and demon free. All right? <laughs> then I would suggest, you know, Buy the demon-free. You know, do you have any demon-free meat? Is what you, you would ask, okay? Well, that's what it was like in the, in the marketplace. And uh, so Paul says, well, we're into this later, because he kind of does this. It's kind of like the marriage thing. I mean, I don't, I don't understand. He gets a little confusing. The good news is we're not talking major issues here. There are some minor issues that Paul talks about that I'm just telling you, it's a little confusing. And, and, and sometimes I feel guilty for saying that until I, write, I read Peter, when Peter says, you know, Paul, it's hard to understand what he's talking about sometimes. I go, thank God. Thank God somebody holy actually said that because I am, I'm struggling here. But when he gets to this thing about buying food and, and he just said, hey, look, you don't want to participate with demons, right? That's a strong argument. You shouldn't touch this stuff. He said, ah, when you buy it, don't ask where it comes from. He was the first don't ask, don't tell. He was. So you would think it's no big stinking deal. I get that from him. But then you're saying that you're participating with demons. Well, that's a big deal. So I, I'm just telling you, some of the stuff. What do you do? I just move on. All right. The good news is we don't have a whole lot of demon-free or demon-infested food that we have to buy at festival. All right. So now he gets into this thing about the rights as an apostle. And, uh, and Paul is writing, he's, now he starts to defend himself because he's being dissed by these people. And we read this a few times in his writing where he kind of defends himself. And I've always thought, well, that's really odd that they're not treating him with respect. But the more you get into the weeds and this stuff and you look at some of the rules and stuff that he's talking, I can see why some people were dissing him. Because they didn't agree with some of this stuff. That's, Paul said, I make a rule that, you know, whatever situation you're saved in, you should stay that way. Well, that's kind of a harsh rule. What do you mean? I want to get married. You know, I'm, uh, you know should have waited until I got married before I got saved. You know what I mean? It's just, some of these things don't make any sense, even though he makes announcements for it, and it just gets confusing. And I think some people in his day, clearly they were dissing him, you know. And you have to wonder why. You know, if people are dissing you, there's usually a reason why. I've never thought of it until I started doing this study again, where we started getting into this, really into the weeds. And I'm starting to get a picture. I, I, th I think you can get a picture of why. <laughs> well, they're kind of dissing him because there's some things he's kind of hard to follow on. So anyway, he goes into this thing about being an apostle and people are criticizing him and criticizing him for, you know, what he's doing with the money. We've got five minutes before we get into this. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? My answer to that is, you did? We don't have a record of that, except that we know that he had a vision where Jesus said something to him. It doesn't say he saw him. Maybe that's when he saw him. We don't know. Not everything in the book of Acts tells us everything. We've seen this many times. As you go through the epistles, you'll see stuff that you didn't actually get there. So at some point, he actually sees Jesus. Kind of cool. Uh, and they all knew it. Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? But he's saying, look, you guys wouldn't even be here for me. So what he's always arguing through with this is, I'm, you know, everybody has lots of teachers, but only one father. Remember when he says that? I'm your father in the Lord. Come on, a little respect here. But then again, you just have to stop and think, why weren't they giving him respect? I think they were struggling with some of these, the way he approached stuff. I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know Jack. All right. So he says, even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. So what does that mean? I'm not an apostle to others. Were they now here's the ironic about all this thing because he's talking about Apollos and Paul and Peter, oh, not, uh, Peter and some of these other teachers and stuff. Other than Peter with two very short epistles, the only one who really has any final say over the last 2,000 years in Christian teaching is Paul. He is the gold standard. 
You take Paul out of the New Testament, man, you got a really short book. So he has really laid down, even though he's trying to defend himself here, it's interesting at the end of the day, what stuck more than anything was his teaching. Okay, but at times people were struggling with it. Uh, you know, I may be an apostle to others, but I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Again, am I getting, I mean, it's, why are they sitting in judgment on him? Why are they, there's got to be something he's doing that they're struggling with. I don't know what it is. I just, you know, I don't know. As you read some of these things, maybe it's confused, I don't know. But they were kind of dissing him. Uh, those who send judgment on me says, don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles, as the Lord's brother and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right not to work for a living? So right away, the defense he's talking about here, I guess, he's, he talks about other stuff. Here he's literally he's talking about the money thing, about who gets to support me and who doesn't get to support me. What really passes, a lot of people don't catch, he says, don't we have the right to take a wife with us? But he doesn't just say a wife, he says a believing wife. That was a standard. You shouldn't really be marrying someone who's not a believer. If they're already become a Christian not a believer, you stay with them, unless they dump you or whatever. But it's supposed to be a believing wife. Don't we have the right to take a wife? As do the other apostles. Now, that's kind of shocking some people because a lot of us were taught they never had wives. That is not true. And even the Lord's brother, James, we read the letter to James, he was in charge of the church at the time, he had a wife. And Cephas, who was Cephas? Peter. Had a wife. You remember Jesus went to his mother-in-law's house. Now all of this is very confusing. We're not gonna get very far here in this. Because there's so much stuff that happens, you don't know what's going on. So he had a wife, and apparently he took her with him. When did he start doing this? Because when he was with Jesus for three, three years, they pretty much left with their wives. What was that about? There's some things that are just hard to understand. I, I don't have the answers for it. It's interesting, again, it's one of those things you read, you just move on. I don't, I don't quite understand it. Those who teach that the apostles and Peter everybody never had wives, they don't know what they're talking about. Clearly they had wives. Paul even talks about the fact they had wives. How come I, I could have a wife if I want? Really, he just said you don't want one, <laughs> all right? But uh, that's, that's what he says. Um, it's curious during, you know, we don't know. Did he, were they on the road with Jesus and then every few many weeks they went back and checked in with the wife? I mean, I don't know. Does, do they just ignore them for three years? I mean, there's stuff like, how does this work? I mean, we don't know. The only reason I can figure they don't tell us, because apparently it doesn't really matter. It's not that big a deal. The Bible tries to stay focused on things that really matter. We start asking some of these questions, it gets, it gets a little confusing. Uh, you know, don't I, or is it only uh, I and Barnabas who lack the right to work for a living? We don't get, you know. Um, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard? So no soldier does that. A soldier doesn't go to war and pay for his own way. So what he's getting into now here is this whole thing about money, about doesn't he have the right to financial support from them? But then when he gets done, he says, <laughs> I can't find it, it was right here somewhere. It shows up somewhere. What's funny about it all is he goes into this big thing and then he say, I'd rather die than take money from you people. Or, or I, 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 I would, I don't know if he says die, he says, I, don't, I would never give that up, the fact that you don't support me. So it's a really, oh, we'll have to pick it up next week because we're out of time now. But uh, so that's, so apparently, you know, he's struggling with these guys and he's trying to reconnect with them. He helped us establish the church. He's the main apostle from them. They're kind of dissing him. My curious mind goes, why? I can maybe there's some of these reasons that I've struggled, that they were struggling. I don't know. But then he makes a very strong argument to why he should be treated. He's their spiritual father. And then we'll get into this money thing, because sometimes people wonder, you know, why do we pay preachers? 
Why do preachers get paid? Because this whole section here now is he makes the argument on why you're supposed to pay people who minister in the kingdom of God. And we'll get into that next week, okay? Doesn't mean they need to make millions of dollars a year by any stretch of the imagination. But, uh, um, but it's certainly right that they should be supported by those who think. And then when, at some point he gets done, he says, but uh, I don't want it. All right. Uh, where'd you find it? 1515. Oh, verse 15. Thank you. For I would rather die than allow. See, I know I read this Bible once or twice. For I would rather die than allow any of you to deprive me of this boast. What boast? I don't take any money from you. What he does, he goes in this whole argument and why he has every right to get money from them. And they're thinking, man, we need to start sending him. No, I'd rather die than take money from you. Very interesting way that he talks. But he lays out this, this thing that we'll talk about next week. Okay, everybody good? All right, God bless you. See you Sunday and next Wednesday.